Welcome to 101 Stage Adaptations. I'm your host, Melissa Schmitz. I'm a theater artist and arts administrator, and I wrote my first stage adaptation when I was 22. Now I'm interviewing playwrights about their own adaptations, their creative process, and how they make it all work. Welcome back. I've been on a short hiatus, and in that time, we hit a major milestone, y'all. We have surpassed 5,000 downloads, and I say we because I thank you so much for making that happen. Thank you to everyone who has listened and shared and promoted the show to their friends. I appreciate you so much. So I just got back from Chicago Theater Week 2024, which took place between February 8th and 18th. I wasn't there for the whole time. I got the tail end of it. But before I tell you all about it, if you are enjoying this podcast, I invite you to rate and review it wherever you're listening right now. So Chicago Theatre Week is a promotional partnership between the League of Chicago Theatres and Choose Chicago, which is a travel and tourism organization. This is the second year I've done Chicago Theatre Week while not being a resident of the city. I live there from 2017 to 2020, but I do go back a few times a year to see friends and theatre. I talked about my 2023 Chicago Theatre Week experience in episode 19, and in that episode, I also revealed the various methods I've used to get discounted tickets, because that's part of the deal of Chicago Theatre Week, is that there's specially priced tickets for this special week and a half. It's really, it's two weekends, and it adds up to about a week and a half instead of just one week, right? So give that a listen. That's episode 19. Give that a listen if you want insider tips for seeing shows on the cheap. So just like last year, I made a color-coded spreadsheet and schedule of all of the shows I wanted to see. And then when I got to the city and started telling my friends what I was gonna do, my schedule got kind of tossed out the window, but I still managed to see six shows across seven days. And truth be told, I prioritized the shows that I could see for free, thanks to my Dramatist Guild card and my other connections. And I enjoyed every show I saw, which is surprising to me because I don't always love everything, but this time every show was great. So let me tell you about this lineup. It includes a musical, a Shakespeare, a Greek tragedy, one, possibly two documentary plays, and an adaptation of an opera. So I feel like I got a well-balanced diet of theater while I was in the city. I saw Highway Patrol at the Goodman Theater, Richard III at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Notes from the Field at Timeline Theater, The Band's Visit at Writer's Theater, Antigone at Court Theater, and the Matchbox Magic Flute at the Goodman. And I'm giving a blanket recommendation to go see all of these shows. They're all really powerful and really well done. So the first show I saw was Highway Patrol, which was created by Dana Delaney, Mike Donahue, Dane Laffrey, and Jen Silverman. The story was created from the digital archives of actress Dana Delaney and her online relationship with a young man and his family. So I didn't know what to expect from this play, and so I went in pretty blind, which was probably the best approach for this one. I didn't even clock who was in it before I went to the theater. But once I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I've heard of these people. It was great. So Dana Delaney plays herself in the story, and you may know her from shows like China Beach, Desperate Housewives, Body of Proof, and the movie Exit to Eden. 
Highway Patrol is pretty shocking, but it illuminates the power of social media and the ways it can connect us and the real bonds that can form online. The play also stars Dot Marie Jones, whom you may know as Coach Beast from Glee. Everyone gives great performances. The set design and projection design were really well done. The story is suspenseful and also heartwarming. And I honestly had no idea what was going to happen at the end. So it was a compelling evening of theater. Shout out to my friend Shannon, who went with me and who absolutely predicted the ending because it was a surprise to me. The next day was Valentine's Day, and I celebrated by seeing two very serious and heavy and dramatic plays. It's been a few years since I've been to Chicago Shakespeare Theater, but I always enjoy myself whenever I'm there. The theater is located on Chicago's Navy Pier, so when you're in the lobby, you get gorgeous views of Lake Michigan. I saw Richard III on this visit, and the show is so good. This is the play where we get the famous lines, now is the winter of our discontent, and a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse, which are Richard's first and last lines of text in the play. The director is Edward Hall, who is the new artistic director at Chicago Shakes. The production concept is really fun. This version of Richard III is set in a Victorian sanitarium, and the cast plays silent, masked orderlies throughout the play, when they're not on stage as their main character. If you go, get to your seats early enough because there is a pre-show happening that I was really tickled by. The hospital orderlies in these very creepy masks infiltrate the space and silently monitor audience members and look over their shoulders and sometimes sit next to them. I loved it. I think it was supposed to be unnerving, but I was giggling the whole time because I enjoyed the strangeness of it so much. So Richard is played by Katie Sullivan, who is an actress that was born without the bottom half of her legs. The real Richard from history is likely to have had scoliosis, but he has often been portrayed with an exaggerated humpback or various other disabilities. In Mike Liu's Richard III adaptation, Teenage Dick, Richard has cerebral palsy. You can listen to my interview with him in episode 10. Katie's Richard begins the play sitting on the floor, and as the play progresses, Richard gains use of a wheelchair, then increasingly fashionable sets of prosthetic legs. When Richard becomes king, he has gold-painted legs, and I swear these legs were taller than the others, which would be a great dramaturgical move if Richard becomes larger in stature as his status increases. So good. When we get to the battle scene, Richard's tall prosthetic walking legs are switched out for prosthetic legs used for running, and this represents Richard mounted on his horse, and when he loses one of those legs is when he loses his horse, and that artistic and visual representation was very clear and a very sad moment. Richard III is already suspenseful, but having this chorus of masked figures and white coats really made the action more unnerving. And with all the murder that happens in this play, and with what we know about the various human experiments that happened in sanitariums, this concept plays out really well. The major set piece was adorned with very sharp objects that hung there ominously, and other sharp objects were often wielded by much of the cast. My favorite costume piece was Richard's blonde wig. The hairstyle was was awesome. I just, I loved it. 
There were some really great moments of dramatic lighting and even a comedic bit with a chainsaw. The children, Richard's nephews, were portrayed by puppets, but that didn't make their murder any less unsettling. Probably because their murderer was a very creepy nurse character and lullaby music played during her scene. Uh, yeah, it was a whole juxtaposition of a lot of different things, and it was, it was a lot. The whole play was often horrifying and funny simultaneously, and sometimes just horrifying because that's the story as written. I had a great time. Later that same night, I saw Notes from the Field by Anna Devere Smith at Timeline Theater. Notes from the Field is Smith's documentary theater piece, mostly on the theme of the school-to-prison pipeline. Documentary theater typically uses text from interviews from people who have directly experienced the topic or theme of the greater story the playwright is trying to tell, and the weaving together of many interviews and perspectives creates the narrative. The thing about documentary theater is that it often reveals the thoughts and lives of people who live under the radar, people you would probably not otherwise know of or hear from, and it brings a sense of empathy to these people that society typically ignores and often criminalizes and reminds us that they are still humans with hopes and dreams who want to live a life with meaning and dignity. Notes from the Field was performed by three actresses playing a multitude of characters from Smith's play. I say characters, but they're all people from real life. And the super titles projected on the back wall revealed the name of each person at the top of each scene. And the, the pictures of all of those portrayed were in the lobby. The performances by these actors were the strongest I saw all week. They completely transformed into each character they played, and it was so profound. The scene that struck me the most was the woman in prison who trains dogs to be service animals. That story really broke my heart. My friend Gustavo, who went with me, also said this one was his favorite scene. Friday night, I took the Metro train for the first time up to Glencoe, Illinois, to Writer's Theater for the opening night of the band's visit. Shout out to my friend Jonathan Shabu for the ticket and mega congrats to him and the entire team on this delightful show. So in 2018, this musical won 10 Tony Awards. And one of my friends describes this as a gentle musical, and that's the perfect way to describe it. It doesn't have any of the usual pomp and circumstance and jazz hands when we think of musical theater, but of course, why have a mold if you're not going to break it every once in a while? The band's visit is about the Alexandria Ceremonial Police Orchestra from Egypt on their visit to Israel, where they were invited to play at Petah Tikva's Arab Cultural Center. Due to the language barrier, by mistake, they end up in Bet Hatikva instead of Petatikva, and they're forced to spend the night there. At first, the Bet Hatikva locals are suspicious of these Arab visitors, and they have to speak in broken English to understand each other and communicate. The local cafe owner offers her restaurant and apartment for the band to stay the night, and the members split up and have their individual adventures connecting with the locals. There's an underlying mood of melancholy, and the characters realize that each of them is carrying some kind of loss or sadness, which they inevitably bond over. And with the current Arab-Israeli conflict, this show really hits differently now and demonstrates that despite our differences, we can indeed find common ground. 
The performances here are very strong and it's truly an ensemble piece. I know these actors have been working together for a long time on this touring show. The band is visiting a lot of places around the country and it's clear that everyone is still having a good time and I love to see that. This show is gentle and sentimental and lovely, and my friend Jonathan Shabu, who plays Simon, told us afterwards how different this production is from what was on Broadway. So even if you've seen the show on Broadway, this production with the same script and music will offer you something new. The next day, I went to the very opposite end of the city to Hyde Park to see Court Theater's production of Antigone. Last year, I had the good fortune to see the gospel at Colonus at court, and this completes Sophocles' three-part story, which court began with Oedipus in the before times, before the pandemic. Many of these actors reprised their roles from Gospel at Colonus, so I love the continuity of that. Shout out to my friend Matt, who drove me and we did standby tickets for the first time. The website said that the show was sold out, but I always call to get the real scoop because I've worked in box offices and it's rare that there's actually no tickets available. And luckily for us, we got great seats right before the show started, thanks to being on standby. Fun fact, this production of Antigone was translated by Court's founding artistic director, the late Nicholas Rudall. I love how the chorus was handled in this. I don't know if this was a directing concept or if this was how it was written in the scripts, but there was one man and one woman representing the chorus, and they were like duo MCs speaking rhythmic poetry and sometimes singing. They were excellent. John Colbert's set design was mesmerizing. It was unclear if the imagery on the backdrop was a created or an organic design, The backdrop was this curved wall and had blue and rust-colored markings on it. I saw land and sea. I saw blood dripping. I saw all these different shapes in the design. And maybe it was like a Rorschach test because I clearly saw the face of a black woman in the design. She looked like Rihanna and I couldn't unsee it once I saw it. Uh, Tiresias sipping on that bubbly drink in his scene and then prophesying had major Oracle Adelphi vibes, so I really love that Easter egg. The story of Antigone still resonates because it is about doing what is right over obeying the law. And when you're in when you're in the area, when you're on the south side of Chicago, I highly recommend eating at Rue, that's R-O-U-X, which is a restaurant that has like New Orleans comfort food, and it makes for a great evening out. The final show I saw during Chicago Theater Week was the Matchbox Magic Flute, adapted by my hero, Mary Zimmerman. You can listen to me try to contain myself with Mary in episode 13, where we discussed the steadfast tin soldier. Okay, so Matchbox Magic Flute nearly went completely undetected by my radar because I was mostly using the Chicago Theater Week website to create my show schedule, and I didn't see it listed there. The Goodman website listed the Matchbox Magic Flute performances as sold out. But again, I called the box office for the real deal and I took a chance on Sunday and showed up in person because that's what I have to do to get a free ticket with my Dramatist Guild card. And holy crap, I snagged a fifth row center seat. I flew solo to this show and sometimes it's easier to get a great 
seat when it's just one ticket. So I was obviously thrilled to get in because it was my only chance to see the show. I did have a backup plan if I couldn't get into that matinee, but I was happy to see Mary's show because I'm always excited to see her work. No details were spared on this production of the Matchbox Magic Flute, and that's why Mary is the best. Now, Speaking of Steadfast Tin Soldier, there were some common themes with this design. The proscenium trim was reminiscent of that show, and the same footlights were present, and the stage looked like a 19th century theater stage, and it made my heart so happy. The musicians were dressed in period costume, which really changes the entire mood and keeps them, like, more a part of the performance, which they are, right? Okay, so it's called the Matchbox Magic Flute, and it's very much a smaller version of Mozart's The Magic Flute. It's the same plot, but in English, and pared down to a sort of chamber version of this opera-theater hybrid that Mary created. She mentions in her interview in the program that only one of the performers is a professional opera singer, and the rest of the talent comes from the musical theater world. I tried to guess which person was the opera singer, and I'm not sure who it was, judging by the performances, but everyone was wonderful. And Emily Rom completely nailed the Queen of the Night aria. Fantastic. I was surprised how funny and cheeky the show was, and I'm not sure if the opera is naturally funny or if this adaptation just added much of that in. After the show, the Goodman marketing team was there with a camera crew to film the audience feedback. And yours truly volunteered to give hers, so you might see me in some of the promotional footage for this. The woman being filmed ahead of me was very well-versed in opera, especially the Magic Flute, and she had wonderful things to say about this production. So if you are an opera fan, if you're new to opera, if you just love theater, you will love this show. So that was my theater week. Thank you, Chicago. I had a great time. I will have tons of pictures and shout outs on the podcast, Facebook, and Instagram from my Theater Week adventures. Find me and follow me at 101 Stage Adaptations Podcast. Do you want to hear more episodes like this where I review shows? Let me know. Do you have a Theater Week equivalent in your town? Let me know. If you enjoyed this show, I hope you will share it with someone, especially if you know someone who was affiliated with a show or theater I mentioned. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you liked it, I hope you'll forward to a friend today. Sharing is caring and word of mouth is still the best form of advertising. So I hope you'll share it with someone today. 101 Stage Adaptations is produced by me, Melissa Schmitz, with the help of Hello Podcast Media. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.